So, Jay, I've been thinking about Iceman. That's very topical of you, Miles. Well, he's such a low-key character that I sometimes forget how powerful he is. He's come so far, too. Remember when he was basically just like a little snow kid? And now he's a full-grown ice man. And someday, he will grow further into an ice wizard. Well, at least in one amazing timeline. The thing is, though, it's not just strength. Like, his powers are really, really versatile. Right? He can turn into frickin' vapor these days. And he can make all of these animate ice constructs, although, actually, that's not really a new thing at all. Uh, yeah, the, the ice bridges have been around pretty much since the start. Oh, man, the bridges are just the tip of the, um, iceberg. But, um, he has, he has made all sorts of wacky ice stuff over the years. There's actually one Marvel team-up from, like, 1972 where he makes enormous, maybe seven or eight-foot ice scissors. Uh, brittle, but I guess they'd be sharp enough to cut through... What did he need them to cut through, anyway? Oh, um, a lasso... Oh, okay. Made of fire. What? I'm Jay Edidin. And I'm Miles Stokes. And we are here to explain the X-Men. Because it's about time someone did. Welcome to episode 213 of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, where we walk you through the ins, outs, and retcons of comics' greatest superhero soap opera, and today we are recording live at FlameCon. Oh, man. Yeah, this is my first time at FlameCon, and everyone has been so amazing and welcoming, and this is basically the greatest con ever, so thank you all for being incredible. Yeah, we are super in love with each and every one of you, and it's going to get really logistically awkward. <laughs> so, today, uh, we have some amazing guests, and we have a uh, perhaps not surprising, but still amazing topic. Right, and we also have a surprise last-minute addition to the panel. So we have, in addition to Mags Visaggio and Cena Grace, the amazing Leah Williams. who are three of our favorite humans and X-Men writers and comics writers and, and in Cena's case, also artists. Um, so actually, if I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to totally offload this and let you guys introduce yourselves and talk a little bit about your relationship to and the work you've done on X-Men. Oh, that's me. OK. Um, so just introduce. OK. <laughs> I'm a really awkward human. Um, all right, so I'm Magdalene Visaggio, Mags, um, and I wrote uh, Dazzler X Song, um, which came out early. Oh, oh, thank you very much. That's very flattering. Um, that's the only 20 pages of X-Men I've ever written. So far, so far. I said ever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's implied. Valid. Um, and that was a really you know, great experience because Dazzler's been one of my favorite X-Men since I was a kid. And I used to spend, I used to, you know, go into Twitter and just be like, at Marvel, please let me bring back Dazzler. Thanks, love, Mags. And then they did, and that was cool. Um, like, I just got the email one morning from, from uh, an editor who's no longer there, um, Christina Harrington, just saying, hey, we were talking. Do you want to write Dazzler? And I'm just like, nah. <laughs> so I guess that's that's uh, that's it. I it was it was great. I, you know, I do I do comics about like rock and roll adventurers. So I guess they saw a connection. I'm done. You can move on to sing. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Tight. <laughs> um, hey, I'm. My name is Cena Grace, and I'm writing Iceman at Marvel Comics, and you know who he is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so we're just gonna cheer everybody. I get it. Oh, <laughs> we're gonna beef by the end of this. It'll be fun. Um, we're not. No. But uh, yeah, I, I, I did some stuff. I think, uh, according to one person in the audience, uh, that Iceman's not even the best X-Men thing I did. I did an all-new X-Men annual that uh, apparently is better than 200 pages of Iceman. Um, sorry, I'm just, I'm just being shady today. But uh, anyway, yeah, I super love it, and I am a happy person, and uh, I'm going to pass it on to Leah now. Hi, I'm Leah. Hi. I'm Leah, and um, <laughs> my mic is diminutive. Mic, you guys are going to need to share the... Okay, so... Between the five of us. I'm Leah Williams. Um, I've written a few things for Marvel. Uh, I scripted the first X-Men Gold Annual, which was the 30th anniversary of the Excalibur um, yeah. team-up. And oh. Thank you. Um, my editor's right there, Chris Robinson. Yeah. Thank you, Chris Robinson. Um, and I am nervous and have forgotten everything else that I've worked on. I wrote a short called Super Hot with Emma Frost and Domino in Secret Empire Brave New World, the one where they were in swimsuits on the beach. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> and I got to open it with the line, being a hot girl is weird, which is the thing I wrote that I was like, they're not gonna let me do this. <laughs> they did. Um, <laughs> and I am writing the What If Magic One Shot coming out on Halloween. And I um, got to work on the Domino Annual, which is coming out in September. It's gonna be the first appearance of Rejects, so stay tuned. And um, I'm writing the X-Men Black Emma Frost one-shot also coming out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna cry. You're good at this. And Everybody they like loves you. you. <laughs> Just accept the love. <laughs> Don't be, don't be bad about the love. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not bad. It's just, you guys are amazing. I, I've never seen anything like this in, in one room. This is my first time paneling like this. So I, I haven't gotten a visual of you guys yet. We've only interacted online. But you're amazing. Thanks for coming. <laughs> you could say extraordinary. <laughs> but so... Yeah, so so I, I think we, we, we mentioned pretty regularly that our listeners are really magical, like they super are. They are, they are the, officially the nicest people in any given like universe. But um, so I think I feel I feel like this is going to be a good first panel. Hopefully, <laughs> y'all are going to be good, right? All right. <laughs> Thank you. Or good at it. Either way. Anyway, um, you're allowed to be like super salty and stuff. Just just be nice. Um, <laughs> so talking about X Men and, and going into writing it. You've all come into writing on, on, on X titles in the last few years, and I know because I am, I am nerdy and I, I spend a lot of time on Twitter that you've all been talking and thinking about X-Men for much, much longer than that. <laughs> and I wonder, you know, X-Men have been such an important metaphor and touchstone for a lot of us who grew up as queer and trans readers or just as, as readers who were coming from marginalized or underrepresented populations and groups. How much... 
God, I'm hearing little bits from the next door, and it's just really distracting. Um, how, how does that inform the way you then go about writing that book as opposed to any other? Um, I, I can tell there's a difference, and I can tell it immediately because not you know, being bisexual, not being straight, it it informs what I'm writing just based on the sum of my life experiences. So when you get kind of characters that pass hands through the same sort of worldview, they, um, you know, they are handled differently depending on the writer. So as soon as I started writing some of these characters and it felt so like wildly thrilling to finally be able to do things with them in a way that I've always been really hungry to see them represented, um, it, it's incendiary for me. It's incredibly validating. May I? Um, well, in the, in to sort of bounce off of that, I think, uh, like, X-Men's always been about chosen family, and it's sort of, it, it I don't ever feel like there's something I can't explore with these characters because historically they've always been very representative of like the melting pot of human experiences and so on and so forth. So it's really, it's, they're the best kinds of characters to actually then kind of apply, you know, your own experience and put it in the book and, and it and it works really well, I think. You know, not just mine, but like everyone's contributions to the X stories. When they do that, when they bring sort of a bit of themselves into it, it it really works and, and makes the uh, action kind of also more impactful. Sorry, I am really tired, so I'm gonna talk a lot like Keanu Reeves and everything Keanu Reeves has been in. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's cool. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so the thing that I've always liked about X-Men, and in terms of relating it to my own experience as a, as a, as a queer person, is that mutants are always kind of like, like anyone could be one, you know? Like you're not, it's like, they've always talked about it in terms of like the civil rights allegory and the racial allegory, but you're, it's, it's not like a racial difference, you know? <clears throat> your kids, your kids right now could be mutants and you, you, you would never know. And you have anti-mutant attitudes and those could end up being applied to people who are your own children. And um, it's always you figure it out when you're around puberty, you know? <laughs> it's, uh, it's like, it's like they're, they're just all really gay just structurally, you know? <laughs> no, and I don't, I don't mean like, well, fine, sure, let's, I'll just take the chair. Um, but, like, but they are, you know? Um, the queer allegory is a really natural angle to take, and I think it, it makes more sense than the sort of um, the civil rights allegory that we've, that we've always sort of more strongly associated with, with uh, the X-Men titles. And so to me, it made a lot of sense when I was writing Dazzler to try to directly communicate some element of the queer experience. And so I just wanted to do a story about people who are just trying to enjoy being what they are. And I didn't want to do a story about people who are, you know, they find out they're mutants and they immediately go sign up and join the X-Men. What if it, what about those kids who just like, they figure out the mutants, they just want to party. <laughs> you know, so, and what happens when there are people who don't like that? They're, they're not, they're not, 
these aren't kids who are trying to protect a world that hates and fears them. They're just like, fuck the rest of the world. What if we just you like have a bunch of really dope parties where we're all turn on our mutant powers and just celebrate that part of ourselves? <laughs> So that spins off into something I was actually thinking about. Um, I reread Iceman and Dazzler X Song on, on the way here, and they remain great. Uh, but they take very different uh, approaches to writing about writing about mutants in the modern world. Like with Iceman, you have something that I know we've been wanting to see more of, and we've talked about it on the podcast a number of times, which is intersectional diversity, which is not just having um, being a mutant be purely be a metaphor for things and not to show those things, but to have both of those. And then we, with Dazzler X Song, we have this incredibly deft use of the metaphor looking at exclusion versus unity um, in a way that parallels the world very nicely. And I love that you can do both of those things. And so I guess I was hoping to get everybody's take on, like, uh, in, in the case of Cena and Mags, like, um, why you decided to go in that direction and also just what other directions this can be taking because it's such a flexible concept. And I feel like for a comic that's been going for decades, we can do so much more with it. So where do we go? So with Dazzler, uh, I guess the, I'm, I'm sort of always kind of an iconoclast. Like I don't, I don't like institutions. I don't like um, statues, you know. You know, when, when, when there's a statue of someone, it means you can stop taking them seriously. And so I kind of look at X-Men and I see this, what is going on over there? <laughs> it's another iconoclast. <laughs> <laughs> so like X-Men, you know, there's all this like decades and decades of, that's so distracting. <laughs> do you want me to do this part? If, like, if the mics aren't it? picking this up, there is some kind of choral situation going on in the next room. And we're getting little snatches of it. And um, like there'll be nothing, but then like there'll be a whole bunch of people singing in harmony for about five seconds. And it's really unsettling. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, there's, so there's all this decades of institutional continuity and you know the, the X-Men are, are this thing that's bigger than everything. And I sort of think of the X-Men a lot of the ways that I always think about Star Trek and Starfleet. Everyone in Star Trek just wants to put on the uniform and, and, and serve on a, I'm trying to ignore it, <laughs> and serve on a starship. And I'm just like, well, why is that? And so I was like, well, I was so interested in telling a story about the people who don't want to do that, the people who don't want to fight, the people who don't want <clears throat> to do what we all, as an audience, expect them to want to do. And uh, so bringing... Uh, doing that with Dazzler made a lot of sense because she's someone who's never really had a clear direction. You know, like she was created as like a Bo Derek project, <laughs> and you know, then she, she was like just like this disco adventurer for a while, and then they bring her into the X Men when they decided she was a mutant, which took a little bit, if I remember correctly. And uh, then she's in, she leaves the X Men, and she's like in, in Mojo World for a while, and then she's she's. Uh, in Shield, and then she's leaving Shield, and like she's never had a clear direction. That that I think made it was so actually much... Mystique who was in Shield. Mm -hmm. Was it? Yeah, oh, Mystique, was Mystique. That was Mystique pretending to be Dazzler. Uh, what? <laughs> Either way, they didn't send me that issue. Okay, but she's always been somebody who's like never had like a direction, and so to me, I was like, well, I want to do a story about her deciding what her direction was, and. It made sense then that I would do a story to do that. I wanted to, to look at, at the larger phenomenon of mutants who don't want to participate in the larger fight. They just, they just want to be themselves and live their lives. That, uh, tight. <laughs> um, 
So with Iceman, Jay and I have talked a lot about this, uh, both on the record and off the record, and via text message and so on and so forth. Um, you know, he's he's so fascinating because uh, he does he does he he can say that he's dealing with these issues of intersectionality, but then he's also like vastly privileged because you know not only is he this like core member, he's like. A strapping white man and like he's also you know able to kind of like navigate social scenes well enough that he can keep his sexual identity a secret for a long good minute um <laughs> you know and so that's kind of where that's where i had the character in the first run and then kind of to bounce off what you're saying um with mutants who don't necessarily uh fit into sort of the the school, the mansion, um, in this new arc, it's like, okay, well, like, you know, Iceman can only spend so much time, like, you know, talking about himself. Uh, and this is coming from the guy who made a book called Self-Obsessed. Like, there is just, there's only so many pages uh, <laughs> that you can take the reader on that journey. So in this next run, it's kind of like, uh, we're going to use the Morlocks in the first issue to talk about sort of... Um, people who can't pass and, and people who are even further marginalized. Um, and and what do you do when it doesn't affect your life, but you do have a responsibility because you know the experience well enough to know that you shouldn't just sit there and do nothing. And that's kind of where I'm going to go with it. And, and that's been on my mind, and so I'm going to make it on Bobby's mind. Um, and it's I feel like, Jay, if, if I'm missing any of the points we've kind of been talking about, like using these characters, and I, and I, I created a new character, um, issue one, in stores, September 12th, 2018. Uh, there, there's a really cool character that that I love, and I think there's going to be some great conversations these characters are going to have with each other. Um, and, and, and it's a, I don't know, I, I need to reread old Morlock issues, but I feel like it, I have a take on it in, in the sense of like, I don't know, I think I'm doing some stuff. Chris, did you read issue one? Briefly. <laughs> he's, not, he's not editing this one, but uh, anyway, but it, I, I don't know. It, I, so I think that's where, that's the where do we go next is like, if, if this school is kind of, responsible for so much what aren't like what like what isn't convenient for them and what do you do for the for the folks who aren't convenient for the major institution in like you know practically the only institution and that's so that's where i'm going in my little <laughs> mini series um the the only thing that i really want to add to this is to refer back to a recent episode where you guys interviewed jordan d white and you like put him on the spot. You were so brave, but you talked about how you know X Men comics as like a whole canon is largely an inadequate metaphor for civil rights issues, um, and it's for different reasons, um, for lots of different reasons. But I really loved getting to hear you guys talk about that, and it it makes me really excited because the future of X Men comics is grappling with that in a way that I've never seen happen before. And like it's a multifaceted approach to bringing the existing canon 
into a more modern way of thinking, but also in a way that is meaningful and natural and true to the characters and respectful of continuity, respectful of continuity. And it's, you guys are going to be happy. <laughs> it's going to be exciting. I, if I talk more about it, I'll get spoilery. Um, so I'll shut up, but I... Right, you're all going to be signing NDAs on your way out of this panel. But... <laughs> so but. will everyone who listens to the podcast have to sign an NDA? Um, no, because this episode's... So this episode... Usually the episodes go up a week after we record them. When we do a... a like when we do a live one like this, it's the next episode. This time it's going to be delayed slightly further because we didn't want to interrupt the middle of Executioner's song. Strife is already so mad he'd be even more so. Oh, wait, maybe that's what they're doing in the next room. <laughs> maybe it's just like an entire chorus of strifes. Strives. <laughs> you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta get it right. Maybe they all tried to hug and got stuck. <laughs> so... <laughs> I went to UCC <laughs> I got called a hippie. Ah, <laughs> uh, were you wearing tiny, adorable overalls then too? Cena is for, for the listeners at home. Cena is wearing really terrific overalls, and I'm sort of oh wait, yeah, here just them. so you can. They're pretty short. Uh, <laughs> no, but I will say this, and then we have to stick to X Men. Uh, my first week. My first two weeks of my senior year of college, I had this awesome idea. I was like, oh, let me, like, I'm going to Bart Simpson my life. And so I wore the same outfit for two weeks. I washed it. I, I had a washer dryer in, in, the part, in the apartment I was living in. But um, it was really funny. It was really oppressive, too. I, I understand the whole school uniform thing. But anyway, it was a but like a bicycle tee from American Apparel that had three colors and back pockets, and I, I had jean shorts, um, and I think pink Converse, and I wore that for two weeks um, just to see what it would be like, like to be like Bart Simpson, like wearing the same goddamn outfit. Um, anyway, that's a, that's so, I don't know what that, I don't know if that makes me a hippie, but it definitely makes me um, special. Well, I think it makes <laughs> I think it makes you an X Man. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that's a very, very superhero comic, and even more comic strip. Yeah, you know, semiotics you've got there. I mean, doesn't Wolverine always just wear that that jacket with the fuzzy collar, just like constantly? Yeah, and with the cowboy boots and the hat. And I, I don't think he washes it, unlike Cena. It's his logo. <laughs> Wait, have you guys ever talked about the communal X Men sweater? Do you know what I'm talking about? Who knows what I'm talking about? The green one. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's okay. also the suit. There's the plaid. There's the suit. plaid suit in the Silver Age that they all they all wear different pieces of at different times depending on the colorist. But the green sweater is non-binary. It's it's non-gender specific. So we've seen Wolverine Women can wear, wear suits. it. We've seen. Well, yeah, but I'm saying like Jean Grey wears the same stuff as uh, Logan and Cyclops and. Oh, yeah, it, it makes the rounds. So. Thanks for coming to our uh, panel on X-Men sartorial choices. No, that's actually technically tomorrow. Um, <laughs> that is, what, uh, T, you're here. What, what time is that panel? I think, I think it's at like 2.15 or something. It's tomorrow. It's Designing X-Women. You should all come to it. It's, it's a phenomenal panel. Um, none of us are on it, but we, I can vouch for it. Um, it's much more organized. <laughs> but um, Because none of us are on it. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, I, the, today has been, this feels like the third day of a three-day con, like energy and disorientation-wise. And like the surreal choruses from the next door are adding to that. I feel like nobody was expecting just, this con to be quite this packed, and we yeah. were all just kind of shell-shocked. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's a lot. So I have, I have a question sort of that I've, I've been thinking about, and that comes up. You mentioned X-Men Twitter. And this is a question that's come up there. It's come up in the Explain Discord and a bunch of other places. Are any of the X-Men straight? No. Yeah. Yeah, Scott. Really? Yeah. yeah. You want yeah. him to yeah. no. be a part no. of this? Read Schism again. Read Schism the first time. <laughs> oh. If you read Schism, it's... Very no, gay. specifically if Warren, you want, no, right? if you want if you want like the gayest cyclops, you specifically read the search for cyclops. Okay. Where he shacks up with a sailor for half the series. <laughs> we all Maggot. do things. <laughs> I mean, I don't know where we expected this to go. <laughs> Maggot? Has Maggot ever been gay? Wait, what about Banshee? Banshee! Oh no, Banshee's past. Banshee's done all sorts of things. He was a member of the Secret Service. Most of it he can't talk about because it also involves state secrets, but some of those state secrets were gay sex. And And you can't spell gay sex without X. (laughs) (laughs) I'm bringing the puns. Bring in the X puns. Well done. I have a very real argument for why none of them are straight. So when you are a superpowered being, when you operate on kind of a different plane of existence, especially like the telepaths, um, things like gender and sexuality stop having the same constraints on them. They they operate by different rules, meaning they stop operating by pre-existing rules. None of them are straight. <laughs> Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Hey, I've, got a, I've got a question for I've got a question for you. Okay. Kitty and magic, right? Okay, so here's the thing. My my OTP is probably Rachel Gray and Kitty. I'm like, Yes, thank you. Desperate for that to happen. Like it physically pains me that they're not together, but at the same time Kat Yana, <laughs> that's the ship name. But yeah, Kitty and Magic, they... Um, but I mean, as someone it's... who's written, you know, just, can you, can, what can, can you help, can you do it? Can you make it happen? <laughs> well, if I had had the page count, I would have tried, but... Um, you have the pages you have. You do with them what you want. And I am. I got work to do with these women. I, I, I covered a lot of ground, and um, if, if it ever gets continued, it will be addressed, for sure. Bless you. <laughs> so. This is pointed at me. No, so we're gonna, we're gonna say we're, we, are, we, are, we are zooming through time, so I think we're gonna ask one more question and then open the floor. Is that, does that work? Yeah. Okay. So, oh, okay, I guess I'm asking one more question. So this is, this is one that I think came up when we talked to you before, Sina, so you can copy off yourself if you need to. Oh, wait, what? Um, so I think this, oh. this came up when you were on the show before, but basically, so <coughs> the comics landscape we grew up in and, you know, Baby Duck style imprinted on X-Men in versus the ones we're all working and reading in now, is, it's really different. 
if you could take one current comic and give it to your teenager kid self growing up, X-Book or otherwise, what would you, what would you send back? Uh, I, do I have to answer this first? I need a second. You don't. Okay. I, otherwise, it'll be like Stephen Merritt, who takes like really long time to answer <laughs> questions. I feel like you're, you're, you're the quick one. I, I would send uh, Chris Claremont's and Alan Davis's original run of Excalibur. Yes. Yeah. It's, if you haven't read it, I, I strongly recommend it. It's joyful and full of heart and humor, but it never lowers the stakes of what's actually happening. It's, they have real, the plot, it has real consequences for them, and they're a family unit. And also, this is where there's a lot of queer subtext that I'm still obsessed with between Rachel Gray and Kitty Pryde. <laughs> yup. You, want, you look like you want to go. Wants a strong word. Um, the first thing that popped into my head would probably be, and they're not current by any stretch of the imagination, um, would be either New X-Men or Ecstatics. Um, if I could read those as a kid, because I have this real just like love for just bonkers, weird comics. And they both play structural and conceptual games that I think if I'd been reading them when I was nine, when I was reading current, you know, Excalibur, that was my favorite book as a kid, I think it would have blown open my conception of comics in a, in a really wide way, and I think would have ex gotten me into um, the stuff that thrills me now at a much earlier age. And I think, um, I don't know, I think that would have helped me figure a bunch of things out about myself a lot earlier, too. You know, stuff that encourages you to be like, to, to, to question what's in front of you, you know? I think I've got it. Um, I would probably send back either like Dennis Hopeless's run on all new X-Men yeah. or Colin Bunn's, <laughs> Colin Bunn, that sounds so funny to say out loud. <laughs> um, it's not a real name, right? I don't know. It's not a real name. That's the fakest name I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Really Hi, Colin. Like, like George McGuthers or something. But I'm going to say what Sarah Michelle Geller said when people asked her if she had a nose job. She's like, do you think I'd have picked this nose? Like, I'd have, I've gotten elective surgery for these results? Like, Colin Bunn, you think that's the name that he's like, I got it. I got it, everyone. <laughs> wife, wife, listen, this is my new name. You have to say the whole thing. So Colin Bunn. <laughs> Um, but I think I would I think I would send myself uh, his X-Men Blue or Dennis's All New X-Men because they both have examples of like normalized queer teen romance that's um, that's just explicit that's not you know in the subtext and I just remembered as a kid I, w I was really like, like I was scared to think about being gay because the stuff I was reading was like Pedro and me, you know? And it was really like, you know, like to be like nine and to have to think about like AIDS <laughs> with your like sexual identity, it's a lot. And it's, you know, and I just would have loved to have seen, to have balanced that with something like, you know, soft and sweet as like Bobby kissing Romeo and, you know, and I also think it's there's a there's a value and I'm not I don't know what the value is but there's a value to kind of having to seeing those stories written by like a cis white dude too in a sense like I don't know what I don't again I don't I'm not, I'm not going to defend myself I just think there is a value and I would I would like to like show that to a younger me all those years ago like it's like this is what it this is what it becomes where it is just don't like it's not 
it doesn't have to be as big of an issue as all that. Like, these characters can just be. Um, and I thought Dennis did a good, if, great job. Yeah. 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 So that I would do is that yeah I don't know yeah I think I mean I think what you're saying about seeing it written by a straight white dude like I find myself thinking that too and then thinking well this is horrible and then realizing that no what makes it feel important is that it's a very direct acknowledgement that our stories are of value on a cultural level and not just within our own community and just to us and I'll add to this so the Googs Mark Guggenheim just had. Uh, <laughs> Listen, I also call him Googie. None of you are allowed to do that. That's just a me and him thing. But uh, the Googs in X-Men Gold number 30 just had uh, Bobby have a one-night stand with Pyro. And let me tell you, though, like, if I had done that, like, I would have been dragged. Not by the beautiful folks here, but, like, by... The, resist, the, the people who are resisting these kinds of stories the bad and think people. it's. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I would have been dragged. Like, I would, you know, they would have just been like, see, like, he's writing gay men to be slutty minstrels. Like, they're soulless. But like, when the Googs does it, it's like, everyone's like, yes, Iceman is living his like best gay life. <laughs> so, Miles, what's your answer to this? <laughs> so, I was thinking about that, and. To get a little more personal than I usually do on the show, um, self-definition has always been an issue for me. A lot of my especially early life was trying to fit other people's expectations, even when that was something I was creating for myself and I didn't actually need to. And so I think the books that would have really been valuable to me, um, the ones that come to mind right now are uh, Brian Vaughn's Runaways, Kieran Gillen's Young Avengers, and especially Tom Taylor's All New Wolverine, because those are three of the best books I have ever read in terms of being who you are, figuring out who you are, and even if that doesn't fit who you're supposed to be, saying, fuck it, I'm going to do it anyway. And especially in the case of Runaways and Young Avengers, and certainly the earlier Young Avengers as well, seeing people around you who are very, very different from who you are, and not just saying, oh, you're other, but saying, hey, I have a lot I can learn from you as I build who I am. I can use your experiences as a stepping stone for figuring out what I want my own to be, and then maybe I can be that for somebody else as well. So yeah, those three, definitely. Uh, what about you, Jay? Well, my non-X-Men answer is, is definitely Finder Talisman, um, which is one of my favorite comics of all time, and a book that I sort of mourn the many years wasted by just not having the knowledge that it exists in the back of my head. It was a book that was, it's, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal comic. And it's a phenomenal chapter of a much larger phenomenal comic. X-Men wise, um, and I, I'm gonna go for the controversial choice. I'm gonna say uh, X-Men 600. Like that specific mm. issue, and specifically for the scene where Bobby talks about why he didn't come out for so long. Because I think seeing that particular feeling articulated that clearly would definitely have helped like Baby J break through a lot of bullshit a lot faster. I think we, that, that seems to be the sum of our experiences in, in the books that we're choosing. They're ones that we wished we had read sooner because it would have helped us. It, it would have gotten us onto the right path about who we are a lot sooner. Or given us perspectives or understanding that we didn't have. So on that note, Speaking of perspectives and understanding we don't collectively have, we are going to open the floor to questions. We have a wireless microphone. Um, is there, do we have, can, can someone volunteer to be mic runner? Not someone who's on the panel? Do we have someone who is? Um, 
because you're, you're going to need to be audible for this, which is part of what makes it rough. Um, I can be a microphone. Thank you. You thank are you. amazing. Thank you. Caitlin, you are our hero. All right, so if you have a question, raise your hand. We will point to you. Caitlin will bring the mic. So, yeah. Hi, thank you. I'll hold it just to bear the burden with you. Um, hi, I'm so glad to be here having this conversation. Oh, yeah, conversation we can everyone bring it to everybody. the next person. That would be really cool. Oh, I'll do, yes, let's if that's do that. And if that's, yes, and if that's an that, issue yeah. for you mobility-wise, just, just, like, just let the person know when they bring the mic to you, and they will wait and bring it to the next person. I'm volunteering that on your behalf because I assume that you're all pretty good people. <laughs> Should work out. Um, hi, my name is Brett. Um, I love all of your work uh, so much. Uh, thank you for doing this. Um, I wanted to ask uh, Leia and Sina, um, you've got two characters that I associate with you, Emma and Iceman, that have a very unique relationship. Um, in fact, I have a theory that when Emma took over Iceman's body back in the day, she thought of Scott and experienced getting her first erection, and that was a very special <laughs> moment for her. <laughs> Um, she, Emma Frost really does exude femme top energy. Like, yes. <laughs> I agree with you. I saw that your run of Iceman has um, Iceman and Emma embracing. I think it's going to be issue two. Is that? October blank, 2018. Great. Could you two please just kind of offer your points of view on the relationship between Emma Frost and Bobby Drake? Yeah, do you want me to? Yeah, you, you go first. Because um, I turned that script in, so I, I have an answer. Um, you know, I, they're, like, I, I never hid that, like, that was the one thing I really wanted to approach in the first run, but it wasn't, like, Emma was doing some weird stuff, and she was kind of unavailable, and I was, like, a, you know, a fresher writer at Marvel, so they were like, listen... You think we're going to give you Emma Frost? Um, <laughs> chill out, bro, to use your own <laughs> phrases. Um, but I, you know, I, but I've spent a lot of time looking at it, thinking about it, talking about it with, you know, people like us who, who spent years examining it and wondering. All this is to say is I think, you know, everyone kind of is going to want some kind of... Um, explanation as to like what Emma did and didn't know about him and what her thoughts are about him in terms of if he's finally kind of like proving himself and coming into his own and I think the solicit says Christian Frost is in it right yeah yeah, yeah. so her brother Christian's in it um, continue and and for people who read the the that Emma Frost series, I don't know who wrote it, um, but I gotta shut the f up because five minute yeah, warning. Five but minute anyway, long story short, I it's I'm gonna like it's it's complicated, and there there is a weird mutual respect, but Bobby is also intimidated because she knows everything about him and she also knows the answers to so many questions he has and he knows she will never give them to him um and it's it's a really cool tension to to play with the I, I completely agree with that and the only thing that I want to add because it's existing canon it's not going to spoil anything is that um Christian Frost is gay and he was institutionalized. So it, it's an incredibly meaningful part of uh, Emma's life. She loves him. Uh, and I haven't read the script yet, but I 
have been desperate for what he's doing with them to happen for forever. <laughs> thank you for the question. Yeah, okay, so you. we've got time for one more. Yes. All right. Or two quick ones. Or two, or two, quick ones. Yes. Or, or two very quick, very, very quick. I have more supporting evidence for why the X-Men don't have to be straight. <laughs> All right. Okay. So we are going, when we put this episode up, we will link to everyone on Twitter and Facebook and everything like that. And really all of us just tweet about how the X-Men are queer all the time. So this, it's like the panel just goes on forever. All right. So um, see, um, yeah, I guess person who still has hand up um, then second. And then if you want to just pass it on and we can, yeah. All right. Uh, my name is Glenn. My question is, what is your favorite like weird thing that's accumulated with the X-Men? Like if you started from the beginning, like to read, like from like first principles, like you would get Magneto and Apocalypse, like or equivalents, but like you wouldn't get the Savage Land or Mojo or the Shi'ar. So what's your favorite like weird thing that's just sort of like built up over time because you know Dave Cochran wanted to draw something, you know, the, the Legion of Superheroes. Real quick, secondary mutations, like... Yeah. Literally every piece of fallout from the Age of Apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> the outfits. I, I, yeah, like, the, the, the inexplicably horrific and amazing fashion of X-Men. I never thought I would say this, but I think the podcast has broken me. I love how incredibly complex and self-contradictory the Phoenix Force is. More of that. <laughs> I like when they don't draw Wolverine with arm hair, so it looks like he's just wearing a tan bodysuit. <laughs> I, saw, I saw a history of Wolverine's costume that said that's what he, what was going on. <laughs> I like that even better. Okay. I have, this can be a very quick question. Um, so what's your favorite either explicitly stated or heavily subtextual uh, gay relationship, like ex-gay relationship? Mine is... Hercules and Wolverine in that alternate universe thing. Yes! Nice. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Greg Pak. <laughs> but any, uh, it can be a lightning round. Just say you, who your favorite is. It, it, I've already Kitty said Pride mine. and Rachel oh, Gray would good. be my existing one. But my other queer ships that haven't been subtext in the canon yet is Emma Frost and Jean Grey and... Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Domino and Psylocke. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Whoa, that that got a that got a noise out of people. Um, <laughs> you you won me last night on the um, Rachel and Kitty. I, oh, sorry, I I talk about that so much. <laughs> it's important. We were You're drinking our whiskey. I. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Anybody else? That, oh, I said it. Yeah. I, mean, Ra- I mean, Kitty and Ileana. Oh, all right. That's 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 the pinnacle. Storm and Callisto. I I think it was already Rick and Shaddy Buns for me, but once they got little tiny mustaches, it was like triply so. And they buy each other sweaters now, and that's canon. And one of them, which gets mocked at length, is a sweater that I also own, did before. So do we have one, one more quick question time? There was someone who had his hand up, up there, or had their hand up, up there for a really long time. Sorry, just a quick question. I um, was reading um, an X-Men Reddit. There's a throwaway line with Gabby where she's thinking about the girl on the bus. And I cannot, I hope that continues because in terms of, uh, did, like, you've never seen a kid that young kind of like, 
identify that way. So yeah. that's, that's yeah. it. Is there a question or just? <laughs> yes, that is also awesome. We agree. Yes, we second that. Yes. Um, okay, so I think we're uh, officially at time. These things go by so quickly. Yeah, we do have a, a, a long list of thank yous we want to get through real quick first. Um, so first of all, to all of our amazing, amazing guests. Um, yeah. what amazing. Um, Zina and Mags, who've put up with our, our... So this is what we're going to do. When are we going to do it? Emails. And Leo, who we roped into this about an hour and a half ago. <laughs> and has, has been fantastic. Um, FlameCon, especially Maya, who has been an amazing point person in contact and helped us out so much. Uh, and our producer, Matt Hunter, who we, are, we just realized we were celebrating our one-year anniversary with. He pointed that out. So that's awesome. <laughs> He has seen us through some really weird technical stuff as we've learned to record long distance. Yeah, um, our Patreon patrons. So we are, we are, we live in that magical space where we have no advertising because we are listener supported entirely, and that's really amazing. And it's because of those folks that we're able to do this and be here and keep making these podcasts and fly miles across the country to be at FlameCon and stuff like that. Thank you so much. Um, and also to to the folks who have put up with with uh, to, to T and Anna who have put up with with on respective ends of the country all of our neurotic uh, convention prep for the last several <laughs> years, um, <laughs> and and also also the, the the Discord crowd who I feel like has gotten kind of roped into that at the last minute too. <laughs> But mostly, um, all of our listeners, whether this is the first time hearing the show as you're sitting here or you've been listening to us for four years, like it is just so incredibly gratifying and such a charge to meet you in person, to hear from you online. Like, thank you for letting us babble about the X-Men online and just getting excited with us. It is amazing to hear from you and see you. Thank you all for being here. And... We have just gotten our time up signal, so we timed that perfectly. Thanks, everybody. You're all great. We love you. Yeah.